a desire to ignite our kids with great ideas and an appreciation for their dignity as children of God often leads us to good books that jumpstart great conversations. But where to begin? Today, our guest is the delightful Kevin O'Brien, here to explain why learning from literature starts with Scripture. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today's guest is one of our most popular instructors at Homeschool Connections. Kevin O'Brien is here to explain why learning from literature starts with scripture. Kevin O'Brien is the founder and artistic director of Upstage Productions and the Theater of the Word Incorporated, a Catholic theater company which has toured the country evangelizing through original dramas for nearly 30 years. Although an atheist at an early age, Kevin's experiences with the dramatic arts began a conversion process that, with the help of the writings of G.K. Chesterton, eventually brought him into the Catholic Church. Kevin hosts the television series The Theater of the Word on EWTN and can also be seen on episodes of EWTN's The Apostle of Common Sense, The Quest for Shakespeare, and The Journey Home. He also portrays J.R.R. Tolkien on several Tolkien specials hosted by Joseph Pierce. In addition, Kevin has performed and produced over a hundred audiobooks and is the only person in history to play every part in a Shakespeare play, which he did for his audio readings of The Merchant of Venice and Macbeth for Ignatius Press. His recording of The Innocence of Father Brown was a winner of the Four Word Best Audiobook of the Year Award in 2009. He's also a writer and regular contributor to the St. Austin Review and Gilbert Magazine. And he's written two books, The Church of the Kevin and An Actor Bows, and has contributed to the books My Name is Lazarus and The Persons of the Gospel. Kevin teaches several online courses for Catholic homeschool students at Homeschool Connections. For more information, you can visit grunky.com. That's www.grunky.com. We have two other websites for Kevin today, too, which you'll see in the show notes. Classes with Kevin and the Catholic Reading Club, just chock full of great opportunities to interact with and learn from this wonderful creative artist in the Catholic space. I'm so proud you're on our side, Kevin. Welcome to the program. <laughs> yeah, good thing I'm not on the dark side, man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. What would we do? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, I think just let me just say something, Lisa, about that. It's so difficult to be a good Christian. And I think it's very easy for us to maybe be too hard on ourselves. But I think the thing to keep in mind is, are we on the, the right side? Are we fighting for the light or for the darkness? As long as we keep that general orientation, then we're going to eventually go right by the grace of God. So I think keep that in mind. If, you're, if you haven't deliberately decided to turn your back on God at least you're pointed in the, the right direction and he will help you. That's so good because God is such a gentle father and the inclination of our hearts is enough of an invitation, isn't it? That grace is quite eager to love us and change our lives. And I also think that the, the students we deal with at Homeschool Connections, many of them are very intelligent and sensitive and they're being raised by typically devout Catholic families. And sometimes these students uh, 
really torment themselves because they think they're not doing doing it the right way. They don't quite know how do you live as a good Christian. They don't realize that most adults in their lives are struggling with the same thing. And so I think the kids can often get into some places where they blame themselves too much or they become scrupulous or they become a little despondent and they don't recognize that, you know, it's not entirely about us. It's not really just our efforts. It's God's grace primarily and then our cooperation with it. And to remind them that uh, Jesus understands. He knows what we're made of and he knows what our temptations are and he knows how lazy we might be or how easy it is for us just to slip away. And, and he's he's not going to disown us just because we're like everybody else on earth. Amen. Amen. And that's the thing too, is it's a real comparison culture, but we're looking at a lot of false images of what other people are putting out there as avatars. And, and we can, oh, it just makes us feel inadequate. Oh, easily. Yes, right. It's, <laughs> I think I think a lot of these teenagers feel that way. And uh, it's uh, I try to help them with that any way I can. I feel like that's a great segue right into scripture, because gosh, aren't our Bible heroes just flawed human beings to their very oh, yes. core? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. So scripture. So we're going to talk about scripture and we're going to talk about how scripture leads us into literature in general. So for four semesters now, plus two before that, where I taught this as an independent study course. So really for something like three years, I've been teaching a class called Living Scripture for Homeschool Connections. And we go through with the students um, various sections of scripture every day, Monday through Friday. They have to watch a video that I make talking about the readings. So we have little readings every day, not the same as the readings at Mass, but the readings that we do, we do a history book from the Old Testament, a psalm, a then a prophetic book from the Old Testament or a wisdom book, and then an epistle from the New Testament and a gospel. Five short readings every day, and then I comment on them. And what I'm learning is even our own children from our own devout Catholic families are typically scripturally illiterate. And the problem with that is, as St. Jerome says, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And, and, and there's something about the Bible. The first thing, and this is what made me think of it, because you said, oh, these characters in the Bible are, you know, sometimes they're not heroes of virtue. The, the teens expect them to be. So the, the first comment I get from students who are new to this course, and students come and go in this course, they kind of jump on board. We're working our way through the Bible slowly. So some students take it every semester, some come in and come out. What they keep saying to me is, why is God uh, loyal to these people who behave like this, particularly in the Old Testament? And you hear these stories of, all, of some of this behavior is violent and shocking. And they don't understand. They think that they think that God only loves good people, but the, the problem is we're not good people. And he loved us before he saved us. He loved us when we didn't deserve to be saved, and yet he died for us anyway. So that's the first thing that the kids notice is, wow, what's going on with human nature? Because I think they I think they get in their heads the idea that anyone who would be featured in the Bible, either in the Jewish faith or in the Christian faith, must somehow be religious and good. And there are some true heroes of goodness and virtue in the Old and the New Testament. That's certainly true. 
But the majority of characters we come across, even the characters God is calling and working with and molding and shaping, uh, like Jacob, who becomes Israel, who becomes the father of the 12 tribes and the 12 patriarchs, he's... He's, he's a man who, who sometimes he cheats, sometimes he lies. He's not honest with his brother. He's not honest with his father. He's, he's, he's a character who's not morally pure, but God chooses him and helps him and shapes him and works with him along the way. And God doesn't say, you're not worth it. God says, I've, I've called you. So we hear that expression, God doesn't call the equipped he, he equips those he calls. So he calls you and then he works with you to kind of raise you up. And so as my students see this over the course of the studies, I think it helps them to recognize that if God's going to be with um, these ambivalently, uh, these, these heroes of the Old Testament in particular, who are not all good, who are a mixture of good and bad, if he's going to be with them, he will be with, with us in our day and age as well. So I, hopefully that helps them. And I feel like there's this tension too, as you as everything you're describing is just resonating so beautifully. Our human nature, it's really important to understand that. And that the saints have all, almost all of them have said that self-knowledge leads leads to humility, but that that's a path of sanctification. I think kids see plaster saints. And until they study the lives of the saints and find out that many of them were pretty serious sinners or even made catastrophic bad decisions at times, even in their holy journeys, like we can think we can misunderstand the image of a plaster saint as being their personality when it's really meant to represent a, uh, a spiritual reality, a sense of abandonment and a desire for God, right? Sure, that's very true. And um, I also think, you know, because they're, they're children, they don't know history. Most adults don't really know history. And I think that's why it's important to learn history so that you learn what we're capable of. And, you know, I'm I'm making my way through the City of God by St. Augustine, which I've never read. But um, what's really interesting about that book early on is Augustine gives a kind of litany of Rome. You know, he writes this at the end of the Roman Empire, and he then goes and he's saying all the Romans are angry at the Christians. And the Romans say our gods are the gods who support us and care for us, not the Christian God. And Augustine, throughout Roman history, says, well, if, if these gods really were real or anything other than perhaps demons, why did they allow this kind of behavior? And he goes over and over again of the horrendous behavior, both of the Romans and their opponents in their various wars. And just in Roman history, you see, it's a mess. And, you know, the, the, the nobility of the Romans was compromised with... Uh, Human nature, the 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 way they treated uh, certain people in war, or or the, even at the very beginning of their culture, and so he talks about how their nobility isn't really the nobility of the Christian faith. It's a different kind of thing. But you know, if we if we forget uh, the Holocaust, or if we forget uh, how um, even Christians can behave in the worst possible ways. If we're not aware of that, then we don't recognize that we need to be saved. I think one of the big problems, Lisa, and I'm sure you will agree with this, when we forget what sin is, then, then the whole point of this is lost on us. If we aren't uh, people who are desperately awful to one another uh, when we give in to our baser natures, if we aren't characters who really, if left to our own devices, will end up 
being terrible to one another and making a wreck of the world, then we don't need Jesus Christ and we don't need his salvation. So we need to be aware of who we are and what we're capable of. You get that through history and through the Bible and really through literature. Beautiful segue. And, and thank you. As you held up the crucifix just then, I was just so touched by it. It's amazing how we can talk in such a vulnerable way about needing saving. And you look at the cross and you just see how loved we are in that brokenness. And it's and uh, and that takes us right into, well, just just uh, go ahead and, and go with that impulse toward toward the literature at this point, because so many connections, right? <laughs> yeah, so many connections. <laughs> so so there's the fact that, well, first, let me talk about the Bible a bit more, and then I'll segue into literature to help us understand our need for grace. One of my former students, she said, well, you know, the good thing is the Catholic Church tells us how to interpret Scripture. But that's not really true. The Catholic Church tells us how not to interpret Scripture. The Church gives us guidelines. We can't just say that the resurrection is symbolic only, or that John 6, where Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, that that you know, that we can ignore that and say that he's talking symbolically and he's not talking about the Eucharist. There are certain ways we cannot interpret Scripture, but the church really gives us guidelines and then lets us, lets us encounter God through the Bible, because um, it's also false to think that the church gives us the Bible. The church has set the canon for Scripture and says, these books are official and inspired, these books are not. But the books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, they weren't produced by the church per se, because most of them were written before the church was the church, at least the Old Testament. The, the books of the Bible are a record of an encounter with God written by authors who are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So to understand anything in the Bible, you have to read it so that you can enter into a recreation, sort of, imaginatively, of this encounter with God, so that you have to recognize, for instance, in the Gospels, how is Jesus appearing when he says the things he's saying? How do the scribes and the Pharisees react to him when he says these things that are shocking to them, disturbing to them, and critical of them? In other words, if we just read it as sort of the book that we can, well, this is our book, and we can every now and then look at it and then put it back on the shelf. <laughs> if we read it like that, then we're not encountering the Holy Spirit who is in the Word of God. Now, Peter Kraft says a couple things about Scripture. He says, you don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. And that, I think, is largely true. He also says the Bible is God's love letter to us. And why would any lover, any beloved, not read the love letter that is written to you? Well, but in both cases, what happens when you start really getting into Scripture is it does move you. Sometimes it disturbs you. Sometimes it shocks you. Sometimes it makes you wonder what's happening in your own life. And so that kind of an encounter with Scripture and the recognition that uh, it's not just it's not like a plaster saint. You talk about plaster saints. Sometimes we think of the Bible. You know, you buy a new Bible. If it's a really nice edition, it comes plastic wrapped. Well, the idea is you got to take off the plastic wrap. You got to open it. You got to start to live it. 
But that's true for any good work of literature, because really, we hear the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, the words of literature, if they're good words, they can be fleshed out in our lives. And of course, the most important word is the word of God, which is found in scripture. But then once you get past scripture, then you're talking about any other good work of literature operates in the same way. So that's why I think why literature is so important uh, above and beyond just scripture itself. But scripture sets the template, so to speak, of how we should approach any good work of literature. Now, there's another caveat, which is not all literature is good literature. Some literature is trashy. It's like, you know, most movies or most TV shows. A lot of it is just some of it might just be escapist. You know, maybe you're reading a good murder mystery or something, and there's nothing wrong with that. But some of it is the kind of stuff that will actually bring you away from God rather than closer to God. So in anything I'm saying about literature today, I'm not talking about the bad stuff. I'm not talking about the stuff that's just a waste of time or worse. I'm talking about literature written by people who are trying to explain their own encounter with truth, beauty, and goodness, and then to reawaken it in the reader. But this ties into the mass. Now, you've got to stop me, Lisa, if I go too long on this stuff. Are you kidding me with a lead-in <laughs> like that? I'm going to okay. say, green light, green light. <laughs> okay, green light, good. Okay. So, so, okay, so what do we hear at every mass? We hear at the consecration, one of the things the priest says is, do this in memory of me. And he is quoting our Lord, who at the Last Supper, when changing the bread and wine into his body and blood, says, do this in memory of me. Now, the Gospels were written in Greek originally, and the Greek word for what we typically translate into English as do this in memory of me, in memory of, is uh, the original Greek word is anamnesis. Now, anamnesis means both a remembering so that you do something in commemoration of, so that at the Mass we commemorate Jesus and his sacrifice. But it also means a re-experience of that, not just a, uh, uh, a representation where the Mass stands for the sacrifice, but a representation or a reliving of the sacrifice on Calvary, not just a symbolic commemoration of it. That, though, is true for any good literature, whether you're reading nonfiction or fiction. The idea is, let's say you're working your way through a dialogue of Plato in which Socrates is talking about something that's difficult to understand. Unless you enter into that dialogue and try to figure out what the characters are saying and struggling with, and unless you start to struggle in the same way with a question what is goodness, what is beauty, all these things, what is holiness that, that Socrates deals with, unless you're in it the way you would be in a good movie or a good drama on stage, unless you're sucked in and participating, then it's not anamnesis. Then you're not experiencing what the writer experienced and tried to communicate. So that if the writer experiences God in a book of the Bible, and tries to talk about what that experience was like, if you just read it and put it on the shelf and don't try to get into it, if you don't engage in the material, 
then you are not reliving uh, this experience of anamnesis. You're not reimagining what this means and having it strike you and letting it come to life again. So that in the case of Plato, these 2,500 year old writings can come to life. I mean, it's like Jurassic Park, you know? So once again, it's alive and 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 that's really the idea. So it's the it's it's anamnesis, the same thing in literature and careful reading as in the mass and the re-experience of the sacrifice of Christ. Oh my gosh, I'm popcorn branding like mad while you're talking. Um, bunch of stuff. Like I was thinking about Lexio Divina and how we could invite the Holy Spirit in when we read Socrates and and the way John Paul II in his letter to artists in 1999 talked about how art that is ordered toward God actually speaks his presence into the world and and becomes like they are, and that the artist's vision is so much greater than what they can actually produce, but that they're getting glimpses of the creator and what they do. And so when we see work or discover work in that way, or maybe even approach it prayerfully, looking, asking God to show us the goodness, the beauty, the truth, and help us to enter in. Yes, all of that. And so, but that would lead me into Flannery O'Connor. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, so some of you might have seen on PBS um, recently, they had a documentary about her. Flannery was a Catholic writer, Catholic female writer in the South of the U.S. from the middle of the 20th century. And she remains an interesting figure. She had been until recently, until cancel culture became more of a thing. Flannery had really been a favorite of the secular academia because she's a female, she's a writer. Her stories are shocking and modern secularists like that. And so she was kind of a darling of, of academics and of people at colleges and universities. And then they started to be less fond of her because she writes stories in which she uses dialogue of the people from the South in the middle of the 20th century who often use the N-word and who often are racists. Now, Flannery was not a racist, but her she writes about characters who are. Well, modern readers sometimes have trouble distinguishing um, that, which is why Mark Twain is often not read. And incidentally, I'll be teaching Huck, Huck Finn and Life on the Mississippi and a couple other things in spring of 2022 for Homeschool Connections. But we will give parents the option of reading versions of Mark Twain that are sanitized, but still powerful, or the original versions. So, of course, the great thing about homeschooling is you as the parent can decide that. You don't have a teacher shoving it down your throat or your kid's throat. You can say, here's what I want to, here's the version of the text I want to read, or I don't want my child to read this particular chapter or whatever. And we're okay with that because your kids are homeschooled. So it's up to you as their primary educator. But getting back to Flannery, it's the same thing has happened to Mark Twain. She's a very profound writer, and she's actually quite Catholic, though it's hard to tell that from her stories because the stories are shocking and often violent. Well, one of the things that I'm sort of stirred up to do, and I think Flannery is probably involved with this from heaven, if she's in heaven, and I suspect she might be, is... Um, I have a, an adult book club, and that's the uh, one of the websites you're going to give, Catholic Reading Club, whatever it is. I don't know it off the top of my head. And it's, um, 
it's um, affiliated with Homeschool Connections. It's not technically a Homeschool Connections thing, but Walter and Maureen are involved in setting this up because Joseph Pierce, my friend, was um, running some book clubs during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, and and uh, he talked about um, he talked about the Evelyn Waugh uh, Brideshead Revisited novel and um, the Man Who Was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton, and he did an excellent job, and he had lots of parents and adults. And now I'm doing it with uh, Flannery's short stories. So every month we do a different short story by Flannery O'Connor, which is easier because you only have to read one short story a month, which is a lot easier than reading a novel because we're all so busy. And my goal is to say, okay, um, how is Flannery encountering, how is she showing in her fiction people encountering God and God's grace? And how then can reading these stories show us maybe our own encounter with grace, our resistance to it, our uh, approach at trying to cooperate with it? And um, how do these stories work? How could they maybe get us out of our ruts, you know, our spiritual ruts where maybe we feel some aridity in prayer or we're just doing the same thing? Maybe we're not feeling it. We're not, maybe we're stuck in a rut spiritually. These stories can shake you up and break you through. And so it's one of the things I'm trying to do with the book club is helping adults. Uh, because, you know, if our kids are going to go through this process, not necessarily with Flannery, but through other books, even middle schoolers, through simpler books, we as adults and parents, I think, have to understand, okay, what is the challenge of reading good literature? How do you do it? How do you have fun with it? And how do you allow it to open your heart up more to the Holy Spirit? Wow. I mean, I'm just, I'm sitting here going, I don't understand Flannery O'Connor. I read Bradhead's Revisited and kind of scratched my head. Like, (laughs) I need help. I need these clubs so badly. And maybe other people are feeling the same way. (laughs) You know, everybody should. One of the things that happens in the book of Acts is Philip comes upon a a eunuch who is sitting in a chariot trying to read something from the Old Testament. And the eunuch says, what are you reading and do you understand it? And the eunuch says, how can I understand it when I don't have anybody to help me understand it? And then Philip starts to explain it to him. That's, That's what education is. So the adults should not feel um, inferior if, well, you know, I don't get Brideshead Revisited. I, I, Flannery O'Connor, I can't understand those stories. You know, I love G.K. Chesterton as you do, Lisa. So my wife subscribes to the um, Chesterton, um, I don't know if it's a Twitter or if it's an Instagram, but so she gets these daily quotes and she reads them aloud to me and she says, I don't understand this. What's he saying? It's a, you know, a couple sentences long. I know, I, I get I, those too. <laughs> right. And sometimes, sometimes I'm like... <laughs> They're hard to understand, but you know, that's okay. The other thing that happens in the book club is hopefully you end up with a bit of a community so that people get to know one another. And we have a, like a, um, a social media aspect to it uh, where people join this, um, uh, this, this group where they can talk about the stories and they can socialize with one another in a, in a safe space. Uh, So, and the kids are part of this um, with the stuff that they're reading too, but we have our own, thing devoted to uh, the adult book club. But that's the idea. So, I mean, 
And the same thing with scripture. That's why we have homilies, you know. Well, why would we understand Jesus? The apostles didn't understand Jesus. He would tell his parables and they would say, okay, what did that mean? And he would say, do you still not get it? You've been with me all these years. You still don't get it. And then he patiently explained it to them. <laughs> well, are we any better than the apostles? Of course not. So of course, we're not going to get it. That's why it's so important to work as a community to try to work together and and unpack these things. So that's not just so that we understand, but it's also fun. It's also something that brings joy into our hearts and and can bring us d- delight in our lives. So it's it's not just a utility where, oh yeah, it's, it's a good thing to do this because it makes us better. Well, it does do that, I think. But it also, more importantly, it's it's something that I think brings sustenance to our lives, especially since we're not yet in the world totally back to where we were before the pandemic. So people might not be getting together as much as they used to in uh, live groups. So the fact that we can do this via Zoom, I think is very helpful and a real blessing. And it's just got such a family sense to it when you get together to talk about a great book. I mean, we t- we started off in the teaser talking about how great books start great conversations. Start to wind us down with, I want to hear all the opportunities you have this summer for people to find you and take your courses and talk a little bit about some of the responses you get to your courses. What are parents, what are students saying to you about what these experiences do for them? Well, you know, if I were really into marketing, I would constantly be telling people how everybody thinks I'm great. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's like, uh, I, you know, so it's a little embarrassing. I I get a lot of positive feedback and um, I get people who send me emails and and stuff and that and and they really talk about how much my classes mean to their children and how much they appreciate what I'm doing. Uh, and so those of you who are not familiar with me or what I teach, give your students an opportunity. They can maybe try a class and see if they like me. It's like anything else though. You know, some people have certain favorite teachers and other people have other favorite teachers. And that's the wonderful thing about homeschool connections is you can pick from dozens and dozens of intelligent, devout Catholic teachers. And so various students will find various teachers that they respond to more and others that they respond to less. So that's, what's great about it. You don't have to take a specific class with a specific teacher the way Lisa, you and I probably had to in middle school and high school, you were stuck. If you didn't like the teacher, that was tough. Well, in homeschool connections, you can pick and choose the teachers you like. So that's really an an advantage. Um, As for what I'm teaching in the summer, I don't know off the top of my head because I'm teaching so much. Now, (laughs) maybe Lisa, you have a list. I know there are a few things. We're going to do a book club for middle schoolers uh, about a book that's really good. It's about a pair of pen pals. It's a true story about a pen pal in the United States and one in um, Rwanda, I think, is where he's from. I don't remember the town, but it's really these two middle schoolers who learn so much about one another and the differences in their cultures. Uh, I've got a class called The Theology of Superheroes, where we look at theology from the point of view of comic book heroes. And uh, I think there's a class on um, lyrics of songs, song lyrics. and The poetry um, of song lyrics. I now have your yeah. list in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like you me know. to read them off? <laughs> you might as well, because I don't know them off the top of my head. <laughs> okay, Theology of Superheroes, Mystery Theater Summer Camp, 
Sherlock Holmes versus Father Brown, the poetry of song lyrics, and the book club, I Will Always Write Back. Yeah, it's a great book. And it might encourage kids to uh, find pen pals, you know, um, which I think is a good thing, um, uh, especially, you know, with email, it makes it even better. So that's just the summer. And then, of course, in the fall and spring, there's even more. Um, but and then while we were talking, I was thinking, uh, it's all going through my head about um, the, the way um, the way the classes work or the way people respond. But I don't know if I've maybe lost my train of thought, but there was something I was going to say. And. I suppose it's simply, you know, it's not me or it's not really any teacher. Really what happens is, oh, I know what I was going to say. It's this <laughs> and it's literature <laughs> and it'll help us wrap things up. So the class I'm teaching this semester is the best of children's literature for middle school students. And we've done everything from Grimm's fairy tales to Pinocchio to Peter Pan to Mary Poppins to, you know, anything you can imagine. Little House on the Prairie, one of those books. We did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We're doing a book by Dave Barry, which is a, a modern a children's book that's very funny. And um, I love this class because even though we don't go deep into literature because it's for middle schoolers and the books are not necessarily deep, sometimes they're just fun. Uh, nevertheless, we just get to talk about these great stories and they're very different. You know, um, um, Mary Poppins is very different from um, this, uh, from say Pinocchio or from Grimm's fairy tales or the golden key by George MacDonald, which was this fairy tale we read. It's beautiful, but very hard to kind of understand. So, and then I'm finding books. I had never read the little house on the prairie books because mostly, you know, girls are it's like you know when i was young only girls read those books but you know now <laughs> which it's is not, a shame right which is a shame farmer boy is one of my favorites in the series well and the first one i read was the one i was teaching just a couple of weeks ago which is the one where they moved to kansas and they're living in Can it's a great book and it's i mean it's it's exciting it's and and you wreck and you realize this is how people lived not that long ago. You know, this is just, you know, maybe our great grandparents lived like this. So, um, so, so I don't want people to be intimidated by, oh, if my, if I sign my student up for a class with Mr. O'Brien, or if I sign up for the Flannery O'Connor book club, uh, it's going to be too intellectually challenging. Well, I try to challenge people intellectually, but the goal mostly is First of all, let's enjoy this literature. Let's have fun with it. And then beyond that, if it really is interesting to analyze or if it really does bring us closer to God, well, then that that is an even greater uh, reward. So that's how I try to approach my classes. You know, have, let's have fun first and then let's really get into in-depth learning after that. Beautiful. I love the whole theme of this, starting with the word made flesh and that sense of encounter with God, the encounter with the heart of an artist, the encounter with each other in these discussions, the need for some guidance in scripture as well as in literature. Uh, I really feel like God calls us into communion through these beautiful books, doesn't he? I think so. I think, And that sense of community is part of the communion that we experience. Praise God. Oh my goodness, it's always so much fun and the time goes by way too fast. Um, but thank you so much, Kevin, for being with us. We're going to have you back again lots of times more. And, you know, so everyone don't despair uh, and find Kevin at Homeschool Connections. You'll also find him at grunky.com. And these are in the show notes. 
classes with Kevin and the Catholic Reading Club. Uh, he's got wonderful courses year-round, so definitely check him out. Can't thank you enough, Kevin. Thank you so much. And if we have parents who say, well, I might want to try the Flannery O'Connor Club, but they already started, well, you can jump in anytime because we just do a different uh, short story every week. So it's not like we're discussing a novel and you will have missed the first chapters. So just jump in anytime and, and join us. Wonderful. Wonderful. I may just do that myself because I'm completely <laughs> stumped by Flannery. And my daughter loves her. Daughter gets her, loves her. And I'm like, I don't know. All right. Uh-huh. So okay. <laughs> on that brilliant note, um, everybody, thank you for being with us. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.